Hello everyone and welcome to DairyPod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team. When it comes to silage, Frank Micken has probably forgotten more than the rest of us will ever know. For over 40 years, the man known as Mr Silage has been turning pasture and fodder conservation research into practical outcomes, helping farmers produce consistently better silage and boost their profit margins in the process. In the first of two podcasts, Frank shares his know-how with Gipps Dairy Regional Extension Officer Karen Romano, covering topics including silage preparation, optimal grazing techniques, how to deal with wet conditions at silage time, and how to make the most of inoculants. If you look at silage as money in the bank, then this podcast should allow you to make better quality deposits this spring. Thanks for joining us today, Frank. Uh, my pleasure, Karen. And um, yeah, it's nice to be sort of getting back in touch with a few farms, even though I'm a bit old, grey and retired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never old. You're always still learning something, Frank, I'm sure. Uh, farmers are going to be thinking about making silage in a fairly, fairly soon. Um, and importantly, uh, some farmers are in a position where they've got a decent stash of silage still left in their stack from last year, which we haven't had for a while. So in your view, um, is it more important than ever for us to focus on high quality pasture silage this year? Karen, my mantra has always been to aim for high quality silage because so many things can happen throughout any silage season or any time during silage harvest to, uh, you know, you'll end up with, with bulk or more bulk of silage. Always aim for high quality and, um, and if you get all of it as high quality, great. But, you know, if something happens and you've uh, got some of it as high quality and some is sort, of, sort of, if you like, bulk quality, um, silage, bulk silage, um, that's all right too. But um, yeah, always aim for high quality. So Frank, tell me um, what does high quality past or silage look like in the paddock? How do I define it? Yep, so if I'm looking at a paddock, um, to me, and we've always said this with our Feeding Pasture Profit programs, Karen, um, and many people around the state have actually done this now. They've actually made silage at this sort of stage. But that stage I'm talking about is ideally, just, um, you know, just before canopy closure, ideally, or not too long after canopy closure. There's no point in waiting any longer for a higher bulk. You might get more bulk, but you've already, you know, you're losing one or two or one and a half leaves underneath. Um, so, you know, you're losing pasture that you put fertiliser on to grow. So always ideally cut at that grazing stage or just, you know, just before that cliff, or sorry, the canopy stage if you can. So if, um, if I'm out there and I'm not really sure, familiar with this term of canopy closure, tell me how I um, determine that if I'm out in the paddock and looking at my pastures, Frank? All right, so if you're walking into a paddock um, and, you, and you get down between the clumps, so to get the clumps, get between the clumps, uh, pull the pastures apart, what you're gonna find down below is, well, if you know what you're looking for in terms of tillers, uh, just grab one of the older tillers, if you like, and try and pinch it and pull it out. Um, but finally, that, just follow the grass, the ryegrass plant down to the base and you'll see leaves that are yellow and, and dead and dying. If they're yellow, they're dead and gone. If they're sort of light green, they're on the way to dying. So you've already lost that first yellow leaf and the next leaf's on the way dead. So you're not going to get much out of that bugger all quality. So, and above that, you'll have three green leaves. And in spring, Karen, as you know, uh, sometimes this can happen at what we call two and a half leaf stage or a bit earlier. So just coming back to the general run of the, uh, what a lot, a lot of farmers might be looking at is, um, you know, if you wait for, th you wait for green, three green leaves on that chiller, um, in spring, um, you've already lost possibly a leaf underneath anyway. So in spring when it's growing really quick and higher, 
um, you know, you need to be looking at the base of those cannabis as um, well those crops as, as they're starting to grow, but don't wait for three green leaf at that stage. Mm. So we're, we're looking for that indicator. We're trying to cut our silage when it, it's, it's milk or quality feed as if the cows were about to, to go in it before it reaches canopy closure. So Frank, how do I know if I have high quality silage? So basically, Karen, it's, as we said a minute ago, uh, the grass will be um, somewhere near that canopy closure or, or where the, just before or just when the leaves are starting to die up on the, in the base, but ideally before that. So it'll be at grazing height, ideally. Now that's that grass would, for argument's sake, might be testing at 11.5 megajoules, maybe a bit higher. It, it might be 17, 18% protein, uh, and probably you know, 45, maybe up heading towards 50% NDF, nutrient detergent fibre. So when we make that in the silage, some of the some of the energy in that grass, some of the ME, a part of the ME, which is basically the sugars in the in that grass which bacteria are used to make silage, make the acids and to create that nice sweet smelling silage. For I can say it might drop back from 11.8 uh, back to 11.5, maybe 0.6. And the protein might, well, protein probably might, might alter, it might even actually go up because you've actually lost a slight amount of energy, but yeah, you probably wouldn't pick it up. NEF, yeah, same thing, it, it might, it'd be bound about the same, but yeah, basically you're not gonna lose very much uh, and the other big thing about this, Karen, uh, cutting uh, at this stage is basically the same as grazing. And that's the beauty of it. So if you're not, if you, you know, in theory, uh, if you can, I know the weather and wet soils and all these sorts of things can have impacts on this. And if you're waiting for contractors, that makes it a bit harder. But in theory, uh, you should be able to get back onto that paddock almost within the next rotations. It's certainly not missing more than one rotation. So basically, you've just topped the paddock, got a beautiful amount of silage, high quality silage, your pasture is still going to be dense, still going to be leafy, most of it, uh, and you still have high quality pasture. Yeah, and a high quality product to, to feed back to the cows when you have a deficit in the diet post-Christmas. Correct. Yeah. Uh, how important is it to actually get your silage feed tested, Frank? We probably disagree a bit here, Karen, sorry, but um, if you're making this stuff at the grazing stage, your silage should be good. It should be high quality. But having said that, uh, you might get dust or in this year, you might get a bit of uh, mud picked up in it uh, or you might get some showers on it while it's on the ground. So that high quality silage might now be, once it's in the stack or in the bale, might be the, the fermentation might be affected by those things I've just mentioned and probably a few other things. Like, you know, the stack might've taken too long to seal, uh, they take too long to get the bale wrapped, blah, blah, blah. So yes, it's important ideally to, to get your bales or stack sample to actually have an exact idea of what's, you know, what your silage is actually testing it. So you can then better plan that to, you know, when the, what, what class of stock to feed that to and when. So um, I guess Frank, um, high quality silage doesn't just happen just like that. So um, from your experience, what sort of groundwork needs to be put in place before harvest uh, to get to this position uh, uh, where we can cut high quality silage? <laughs> Sending me out to be shot down here, Karen. Um, this time, you know, this year where there's so many farms around Gippsland and southern Victoria, uh, we've had, you know, they've had a fair bit of rain. Uh, some paddocks will be, you know, some will be badly pugged, some will be slightly pugged, blah, blah, blah. Um, look, the ideal thing would be to have your paddocks, you know, reasonably shortish when you shut them up. When I say short, that's down to grazing height that we, we always talk about, that four to six centimetres, ideally. 
and, and not with too many clumps. Um, so, and we're looking at a pasture that's, you know, a lot of ryegrass, and if you're lucky enough to have a bit of clover in, that'd be great. But a paddock that's 30 to 40% capeweed, um, forget it. Uh, that, that should have been dealt with back in the autumn. It's too late to deal with that now. Cost you too much to uh, spray those paddocks out and take a while for the pasture to come back and fill the gaps, blah, blah, blah. So you're looking at a um, yeah, relatively short pasture when you're shutting up, if you can, uh, with you know, minimal clumps. And so just uh, leading into that discussion, um, we, we, in our management, we know when we're heading into spring, uh, things start to fasten up um, and very quickly we can get to a position of surplus occurring. Um, you've said that we uh, start to take some paddocks out. Um, what sort of uh, process uh, might you use? And thinking about perhaps the feeding pastures for profit principles there on um, uh, taking paddocks out to help you um, still end up with quality to cut the silage. So look, dealing with the feeding pasture profit farmers that have done this course, and I absolutely recommend that to every every dairy farmer. It's, it's just one of the best things that you know we've run as a department or as Beach Dairy and so on, Dairy Australia. So from the feeding pasture profit program side of things, um, as we we should be, if we're doing our, our job properly, um, we should be recognising this surplus very quickly as we're going, in other words, if we're going into the next paddock, uh, the cows come out and the clumps might be slightly, slightly bigger. The residual might be slightly higher. So instead of being that four to six, it might be you know, five to seven. Might be a bit hard to pick up. Um, but yeah, you know, if you haven't picked it up then, then the next paddock, hopefully you will start to pick that up. So that's when you would then say for your feeding pasture for profit farmers, you take out the next you know, one or two or three paddocks. Uh, and we, we call that banking, but you put those aside. So they're still short. Um, and, and we've now gone to do paddock number two or three down the track, if you like, or four. So, and they should be absolutely ideal for grazing. And, when, and, and so when the cows come out of that, um, you know, they might not graze it so well because, oh, well, they should have grazed it pretty well. But, and then as you're going around the rotation a little bit longer, you'll recognise once again, they're leaving the, to a higher residual or the clumps are getting bigger. So you might take them out. If that happen comes, if it happens to come in wet, which often it can, in, in southern Victoria, like you know, in the southwest and, and Gippsland, we might get that cold, wet snap. Uh, and bugger me dead, we're short of feed. So then we can actually go back to those early lock-up paddocks, the paddocks we've locked up or put aside or banked, if you like, uh, and, and, and we can graze those and they'll be at the, you know, they'll be at the ideal stage for grazing. Not, only got, yeah, not a lot of canopy closure, not too far past if, if we got to that stage, um, but perfect. And I think what you're describing there is a, a great management technique, Frank, because really what you're saying is you're making withdrawal from your bank, but when you're making that withdrawal of those paddocks for that climate, uh, cold uh, snap, they're still in uh, within the feed wedge and still milk quality feed, um, as opposed to if we had have locked them up um, and once they're past canopy closure, uh, the quality isn't as great, would you agree? Absolutely. Now, so that's, that's the farmers that have, you know, had been open to or experienced feeding pasture for public care. Now, for a lot of guys that haven't, for those guys, often they, they don't pick that, that, sorry, they don't pick up the fact that the pasture's growing quicker than they can eat it, yeah, the cows can eat it. So similarly to what we do at feeding pasture for what you need to be doing is, is just when the cows come out, and if you can, and you might need to do this over two or three days, are they leaving more pasture behind? Or are the farmers having to leave the cows in the paddock, you know, an extra half a day or an extra day, just to get them back to where, to the grazing height they want. That's assuming they're grazing to the four to six centimetres. Uh, and that, that way they'll, yep, they might go back to four to six centimetres. The clumps might be um, 
getting touched down like they should be. But then, you know, the fact that they've spent another one day or half a day or one half day there or whatever, that means the next party to go into is already starting to get, you know, too long if you like. So that should be a bit of an indicator that the past is really starting to grow quicker than what, you know, what the cows can keep on top of. Yeah, so to be responsive, and, and I guess what you're saying is that attention to detail, a daily line, because things happen very fast in spring um, and change quickly. Definitely in spring, yeah, and as I said before, a lot of farmers don't recognise it until it's too late, and you know, next thing you're shutting up paddocks, the clumps have gotten well and truly out of hand, and, and um, before long it's, it's sort of getting out of control, and we're shutting up paddocks that you know, they might be already too long, and they're, uh, you know, they go, they go uh, into seed head somewhere down the track before you get the harvest, or you're well on the way, or well past canopy closure at least. So Frank, if, if I'm in a situation where I have taken the eye off the ball, and um, the, the next best feed that the cows are going into is well past canopy closure, and I'm looking ahead of myself when I've got a lot of feed coming up, what would your strategy be in that situation? Would you keep forcing the cows to eat that feed, which is obviously lower quality, or would you think about uh, taking proactive action in some way? If you haven't already thought of it, you should be cutting back on your, your feed in the shed. So yes, that should be getting dropped back probably just before when you're starting now. Uh, if not, certainly do that. You know, don't take your grain, at, you know, necessarily all of it, but you know, take out quite a bit of it. Um, and the other thing is, if you can, once again, that depends on the season and the where you are and the, you know where you're on wet flats, blah blah blah. Um, take that, that take that crop off as soon as you can. So you're saying that I would look at maybe the next four or five feeds in front of me and think about well. I'm going to set them aside uh, to do silage as soon as I can within say seven to 10 days if weather allows and go back to milk quality feed within my feed wedge. Is that what you're saying, Frank? Definitely. Yep. Now that's easier. Yeah, now that's easy. That's where it's great to have round bar silage. So you can zap in and do those paddocks, uh, even though you do need to get those bales drier than normal pit silage. But if you've got enough there for a contractor to come into um, and he's happy to come and do that, and you can get on and off the paddocks without you know, destroying the paddocks, go for it if you can. What if I'm in a situation, Frank, and my farm's really wet? Um, I'm not going to get um, machines in, but those paddocks have got away from me. Um, would, would it be better maybe to graze those paddocks knowing that you might have a higher residual, but then come back to them and try and reset the residual when things dry out a little? What are your thoughts there? This will depend on where you've got farmed with hills and flats. Um, you know, you can graze your hills and, and sort of get back to your flats when you can. Or if the past is getting way on you and you're not comfortable with the fact that it's actually getting way on you in, in these flats, um, what you could do um, is, is on-off graze. So, and that, but oh, you could put the cows on for a couple of hours, two, three hours. The minute the cows start to pug that paddock up too much, or, or, or start to pug paddock, get them out. So my mantra is always the minute they start pugging, getting them out, get them out. Mm -hmm. um, and try and do that before yeah, they do too much damage. Now, you know, once again, I know there's some farms with some really wet flats, you, know, you probably create more problem even doing that. But if you can do that, get them in and leave them there for a couple of hours if you can, or the minute they start pugging, get them out. And you will find, find Karen, you know, from research we've done in the past, the department's done in the past, that. Yeah, the cows will have eaten probably 70, maybe 80% of what they needed for that, that feed. Uh, and then you can top up in the shed or, or you know, put the cows, put, I don't know, some silage or grain back along the lane or in it, wherever you might have an off period, an off area. Frank, how important is it to aim for that four to six centimetre residual with our ryegrass pastures? We aim for that four to six centimetres, Karen, because that's all we need. That's all the ryegrass plant needs. Uh, if you like, that's its fuel tank. So 
if the pasture is higher than that, what that will also mean is the clumps have gotten bigger in that paddock. Now you can either, you can leave that and, and make sure you um, get on top of that the next rotation around, so graze tight or, or have paddocks taken out for silage where you put pressure on in the terms of grazing, or, or just or top that paddock as I've said, I think top that paddock. It's no biggie, if it's, it's not ideal, but it, you're not gonna break the bank if you get away with once the stuff that's too high, but you let that pasture get too long too often, like the residuals are too high too long, too often. Yes, you'll end up with open pastures. The, um, the growing point actually tend to lift up in the plant itself and you could actually be killing or losing some tillers down the road. So it's not ideal, um, but okay if it happens once, but yeah. So that uh, message, Frank, practical, not perfect, rings true. Um, we recognise you can't always get, um, get, get everything spot on and right. But um, if we can, at some stage, we need to uh, reset that residual. Uh, so that, as you said, we get more tillers, more light to the base and thicker pastures. Frank, well, you've talked about perhaps topping the paddock or uh, making it to silage if there's a higher residual. Is there another option to re-correct that residual for farmers? Yeah, an option that, that is available, not often taken up, but, you know, just the, the animals aren't nearby or whatever, uh, is to put another class of stock in there. So it might be the spring is coming up or it might be younger stock or something. They need to go in pretty well as the cows are coming out. Because if you put them in the next day, or, or if it's even worse, if you put them in two days later, what's happening, if you have a look at the, the base of those pastures, you already have one to two, maybe even three centimetres of new growth. Now, basically putting, young, putting animals in there to take that off, you're really giving that young, uh, that ryegrass plant that's trying to recover, you're giving a bit of a kick in the guts. So you'll set back the regrowth just that little bit. Um, it's not something you want to do too often, but... And, um, but yeah, if you're going to put animals in after a high residual, as the milk is coming out, almost these animals want to be going in mm. and then taken out the next day if you can. And is it also important to have enough animals to have the grazing pressure to get the job done quickly, Frank? Oh, definitely, because you know where they're going to graze first. Mm. It's not going to be the clumps, is it? It's going to be where the milk has came out, which would be all right if they at least take that down to the height that we want. But uh, they may you know, hop into the sides of those clumps. So I wanted to delve in a little bit into um, some of the discussion before. We talked about uh, banking so that we can um, cut silage, like plan to cut silage at milk quality feed or around canopy closure. What about um, for if I'm chasing pit silage and I have a philosophy of locking up about a third of my farm? Can we talk through um, the advantages and disadvantages of that for, for farm systems? Yeah, everyone's got their own opinions of this. Uh, and then it comes back to the costs of pits versus bales and so on and so on. It's probably not the right way to say this, but what I don't like about pit soil is basically, Karen, is yes, when the part, if you're you know, on top of it and you, and you recognise the past starting to get away on you, so right, I'm going to drop that paddock out, maybe drop the next one, maybe two paddocks, three paddocks out. And then as you're going around, you'll be dropping more paddocks out. Uh, most people will be probably dealing with contractors at this stage or they're not, get, they're not going to get set up to get going until you know, a fair bit of that pasture is ready to be cut. Now, what that will mean is two or three things. One is the, the early paddocks, if you shut up, uh, will be longer. They'll be past, well past canopy closure. So those paddocks will take a lot longer to recover. You've already probably gone past at least one rotation. Uh, and they might even now require another one, possibly two rotations on top of that for those early paddocks to recover. And the thing is, once you've taken all that silage off, and it should be relatively, you know, reasonably good quality, as long as you've even got seed head in it at this stage, um, what do you know? You've got a 30-year farm is flat. So in terms of the recovery, 
So which paddock am I going to put them into? And by the time you know you put them into one paddock, the time you get to the end of that that third of that farm, it's probably gotten too long for you again at the other end of that silage area that you cut as a pit. With the bales, um, you know, when those paddocks are ready to be cut, ideally, you know, once again, depends on you know, wet flats and climate and so on. And you do need to get these things up to 40 plus percent dry matter, which is longer. That might take longer or you know, another activity with either tower rake or tenner. Um, but you've got good quality silage. And then as the paddocks are ready to be cut, which is somewhere near that grazing height or a bit over, not much over, good quality silage. And those paddocks will recover and should be in the next rotation as you go all the way through spring. Now, if people are set up for pit silage, what I often, I've often said myself in the past is, yes, if you can, uh, even you've got to get a contractor in, uh, or it's often farmers will have a baler, um, go and do those early cuts for yourself with a baler. Use the contractor to do, you know, maybe, I don't know, half of that third, because um, it'll all be grown on the farm at, you know, fairly quickly into the pit and then just do some of the follow-up paddocks uh, with your baler at the end. So you should end up with pretty good quality and not too many paddocks being you know, set back in terms of missing too many rotations, if you know what I mean. Frank, we've talked about um, the impacts if um, we take out a large portion of the farm, particularly if it goes past canopy closure. Can we just spend a little bit of time of focusing on length of lockup? So how long paddocks are put away uh, between last grazing to when they're harvested for silage? Yeah, so once again, it's, you know, it's how long's a bit of rope. So that depends on the season, how cold it is, how wet it is, how dry it is, you know, how hot it becomes and so on. So once again, your indicator, it should not be four or six or eight weeks. It should be when those plants get somewhere near that, uh, that canopy closure. But if I just could, just briefly, very quickly, um, Graham Rogers at Allen Bank, uh, many, many years ago, did some research at, you know, Chatting up for either four or six weeks, uh, that was in, in October, then chatting up four to six weeks in, uh, in you know, that was late October. Now, basically, the, the bottom line is the shorter shut up and early in the spring was much better than, than the later shut up. Yes, we got an extra tonne of silage, but we actually knocked back our root growth by two tonne. And that was just in the October period, and a similar sort of thing uh, in, in, in later in the year, but yeah, the lower figures. And the quality, so, and the quality obviously was much higher in that four weeks versus the six weeks. And the, um, and the milk production similarly was, yeah, we had more milk coming out of that early, that uh, the short shut-up stuff. But to reiterate, it's, it's when the, the, the grass is at the pastures at that grazing stage or thereabouts, not too late. And so let's wander a little bit into um, pastures in spring. And, and we all know our pastures at some stage are going to go reproductive. Um, so uh, can you talk me through um, some of the management there um, with your silage and the impacts on quality during that phase as well? As, as the, the ryegrass starts to uh, mature, the seed head is coming from the base. So if you get in the bottom, you know, pull your pass apart and, and you might see a little a collar, if you like, a little lump around, uh, around the base of that plant. Now, it will move up that plant and, uh, and just above that, particularly when the plant, the, those nodes um, get up and you might have two, a couple of nodes or three nodes possibly, but follow the tiller right up to the top of that first node, the top node, run your finger along that, squeeze in a little bit, and you'll feel a bit of a lump or a bump in there. Now that'll be the seed head. And in cereal world, we call that the boot stage. So if you're able to cut before then, you know, the quality is still pretty good. 
you know, it's, it's, it's certainly very good at that stage. Um, but the minute that seed air starts to come out, uh, that's, the actual seed starts to come out through the top parts of those plants, the top fold of that top leaf, that flag leaf, it will start to drop in quality. Now, it, ideally, you want to be cutting, you know, no later than that. Obviously, a bit better than that, earlier than that. The more seed that have, that comes out, uh, and the older that seed it gets, the, the greater that quality is dropping, and protein as well, and NDF's going up to bilio. So it, the endo, NDF is, if you like, is the bone that holds that plant up. So it needs a more bone or more NDF, nutrient detergent fibre, it needs more fibre to hold that plant up because it, it's getting higher, it's getting longer. So we need more bone to hold it up, but it's dropping in quality. So the message is, is that um, once we start entering that reproductive phase, uh, our, we're building fibre, as you said, the backbone that's holding the plant up. And so quality starts to decline rapidly. Um, and that can, then we need to, I guess, Frank, make the decision. Um, is it still okay to do silage or is weather allowing us perhaps to um, do other options with that plant, perhaps early hay, if you can get it dry? What are your thoughts there? Yep, so once again, my mantra being, if you could make hay out of it, um, you know, don't pay for the, the cost of the plastic and so on. So you will have more losses uh, because you're dealing with a drier product. So there'll be some leaf loss and that's, the, well, leaf loss is what you don't want to lose, but that's what you'll be losing. Um, but you're still probably going to be ahead if uh, compared to putting on plastic, which is pretty expensive. Um, but you'll still have a pretty good product in the end of the day, if you can do that now. You know, I, my, one of my other mantras is try to make high quality soil. That'll be four to six weeks before you normally would be doing your hay. Mm. So, you know, if you're doing your hay and you've got the weather to do the hay or do your silage as hay, go for it. Um, and I, I reckon, Frank, it might be worth just delving in a little bit. I always remember you um, talking to me about Gippsland and weather and difficulty in finding breaks in the weather, but sometimes we need to take those opportunities when we can grab them. So uh, how important is it for me to be looking ahead, monitoring climate and looking for those opportunities? Well, uh, you always, always look at your weather forecast. Uh, now, Dale Gray puts on a, um, you know, a, um, a monthly climate outlook, if you like. So uh, catch up with Karen or, or Dairy Australia people, you know, whoever, wherever you are, uh, and try and find out when Dale's putting these on and, and hook into those because they're pretty good and, and, um, and, and, and fairly accurate, I think. Um, but so the first thing is, at the back of your mind, is it going to be a wet year? And who knows? But at least you've got in the back of your mind, it might be a wet year. Um, and therefore have that at the back of your mind when you're planning things. And if it's going to be a dry year, well, that's when you might think about using nitrous fertility, you know, kick the grass along a bit, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, um, just stick, uh, monitor your, your favourite um, weather station, if you like, or your, your, your weather app, whichever one you want to use, when you have most faith in. Faith in. Uh, and, um, you know, spring I found is bloody... It's almost done. It's almost impossible. You know? So, you know, what will happen is you know, sometimes you'll say, oh, I've got two days fine with this. Oh, great. Go for it. And don't get me dead. You're knocking on the ground and it drizzles rain or it bloody rains. So, but other times when I've done this, I've found this often in towards the end of October. Yes, it's telling me there might be two days fine weather. Uh, and then blow me down. It ends up being three days fine weather and sometimes four days fine weather. So, you know, I just take the gamble. Uh, unless you, unless it looks like it's not going to be fine, 
And that's where you need to be looking at the rest of the state and see what's happening over there. And the thing is, if you do happen to knock it down um, and you do get rain on it, you can swear and that's, you're entitled to do that and swear at me if you like, but uh, you will have uh, you will have topped that paddock if you like. And when you, if you're able to, you might be able to put the cows in and graze, you know, pick up some of that stuff that you've cut, but you've actually topped that paddock. So it's going to be beautiful when you come back to that. We've touched it on it a little bit, Frank, um, being wet. Um, how's that going to influence my decisions about whether I make silage in, in the, on those areas of my farm? Every farm will be different, Kaz, and it depends how wet it is when you want to try to make silage. And, and, you know, if it's really puggy, probably don't even go there. Um, for, for various reasons, one obviously shake, the, shake your, your false teeth out of your head, you'll, um, you'll shake the machinery apart, and, and worse still, uh, and, and probably more importantly, you'll be picking up dirt going into that silage. So for all those reasons, I'd probably avoid that. If, if you've been uh, lucky enough not to create too much bugging and, you, and you're able to get on those paddocks, um, the important things to remember there is um, when you're making your silage, try to avoid picking up silt or dirt as much as you can, as much, as much as you can, because all you basically is inoculate it with bad bacteria. Um, and definitely use a silage additive to um, increase the chances of getting a good fermentation. So definitely, um, use a silage additive. And this applies to, I suppose, slightly wet weather. Um, you know, Mick, it says two days, go for it. But it might be, lay me down, it's two days. I haven't had a, a lot of heat there. It's still too damn wet. I need another day, but it's, it's going to rain tomorrow or, you know, drizzly. So that's when um, you might still go ahead and wrap it up, but you'll be wrapping up water, mm. putting it into a pit. But definitely, definitely use a silage additive. Uh, and use it at the right rate. So they'll be recommending you know, X amount of uh, kilograms of silage additive per kilogram of you know, silage. Bearing in mind now it's wet, so you need to up the ante or up the rate of that additive. But you should then end up end up with a wet silage, but a nice, sweet-smelling lactic acid-type silage. Frank, you've mentioned um, additives and inoculants, and I know uh, in re reading a lot of what you've written in the past, um, you spent a lot of time um, explaining those uh, to, to farmers and, and to service providers. But can you just spend a little bit of time clarifying the difference between the two um, and the, the importance of following recommendations when using? So inoculants basically frozen bacteria, sometimes live bacteria, depending on the company producing it. And these inoculants uh, basically come under the umbrella of additive silage additives. So there are quite a range of additives that you can use in silage now. For argument's sake, there's one that uses, I won't quote the name, but it uses, um, it's got sulfur compounds with an amylase and blah, 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 and it helps to suck the oxygen out, which is what we want. Um, and there'll be other things, you know, in the past we've had acids and, and buffered acids and there might even be still a company around producing, say, the buffered acid, which are quite safe and which are very, very useful in that wet silage if, if they're still producing it. Um, so there's a range of additives. Uh, the inoculants only one class of that. And it's and look, these days, uh, Karen, you know, for many years now, I've been saying, based on research that's happened worldwide, I've been saying it's well worth using um, the right sort of silage additive, including inoculants and these other things that are around. Uh, and for every dollar you're going to spend, you should make uh, yeah, three, four, five dollars, sometimes even more. And in wet silage, probably more.
Terrific, great advice, Frank. Frank, we've really focused a lot on uh, perennial uh, ryegrass pastures, but perhaps let's just wander into a little bit into management of our um, annuals and our Italians. So uh, would your advice change uh, when we're talking about those for uh, species or what are your thoughts there? So with, with annuals, Karen, um, they're gonna you know, molt in the spring. And this is, in, you know, in our dearing areas in southern Victoria and, and, and Gippsland areas. Ideally, we've hopefully gone for the later maturing annuals. So we actually get as much growth as we can out of those things before they go to head. So those things, because if whenever you cut those, if you cut them, you know, at the micket height, uh, grazing height, uh, you're, you're probably going to lose a fair bit of that that bulk of that, that annual mm -hmm. ryegrass. So those... Those particular species, we'd be sort of saying, go through um, when that seed has just starting to come out, maybe, maybe up to 10%. The risk of me saying that is it comes in wet and it suddenly it's 50% before we actually get out there and cut the stuff. But yep, yeah, so early early seeding and no later than 10%, if you can, for the annual ryegrass, because it's done and dusted by just cut. And I think, is that also too, because Frank, uh, with our annuals, we, we don't have to worry about tillering as much or protecting those uh, new tillers because uh, most of the time when we put an annual in, it's going to result, um, follow with us putting in a summer crop or something else. Yep. I mean, we still were grazing at you know, the heights we talked about in the past, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that two and a half leaves or whatever, and the annuals tend to be a bit higher. Uh, so it'll be yeah, two to two and a half leaves thereabouts. It's the same grazing principle, but it will start to bolt and the seed head will come up pretty damn quickly. Mm. So the other group that you mentioned, the um, the Italian ryegrasses, and in there also these days is the hybrids, which is a bit of a mix. So the hybrids, because when you cut those at some stage, you know, more often than not, depending on the season, they will, you know, they will recover and, and keep growing, you know, they'll keep um, They'll send the seed, up, the seed head up a bit later on. Or if you've cut the seed head off, maintaining that grazing pressure, keeping the seed head numbers down, If uh, depending when you cut them, if you cut a lot of that seed head off, by being the, um, the Italians and hybrids, most of those should recover. And depending on the season, if it's a nice wet spring, early summer, it'll keep growing and, and hopefully come back next year. If it's a dry, if we end up having a dry season, you know, an early um, or late dry spring, early dry summer, they're not going to keep growing after that. So, yeah, but yeah, once again, that's where you want to hedge your bets a little bit with looking at the long-term range forecast. But also, you know, I mentioned before the things to look at in terms of that, that forecast. Karen, you know, farmers have been around for a long time. I've got a bloody good gut feel. So go on that gut feel as well. Frank, is it fair to say that good quality silage is no more expensive to make than poor quality silage in most situations? Uh, not that simple, Karen. Um, we're talking cutting uh, this high quality silage at grazing height or thereabouts. So for a contractor, he hates to hear that because that means he's going to be running around a paddock um, and and not picking up you know, much, much crop at that stage. But farmers have done the feeding part of crop of course or who have cut or, or you know farmers that have cut pastures at these sort of heights grazing heights or thereabouts they have seen the benefits of cutting this this stuff early they get more milk and they get that um, really quick high density good quality grass uh, by coming back in now the low quality silage uh, yep you'll get a higher yield but it'd be a lower quality and you will get less milk production and it's going to cost you more anyway. Well, it's going to cost you a fair bit, but 
I've often said, you know, when this contract has been in talks that I've given, I've often said to the contractors in front of the farmers, uh, listen guys, you're entitled to charge the farmers a little bit more because you've got higher quality silage, which is going to give you more milk and that'll be well and truly cover the cost of that, you know, that extra uh, cost that you're going to be giving him and of course the regrowth that they're going to get. And of course the, the higher bulk silage, there'll be uh, a, a lower quality and of course those paddies are not going to recover anywhere near as quick and you know, they, might, they might have missed um, you know, one, two or three rotations. So that's just going to set the whole the whole scenario back in terms of grazing management and pasture growth and so on. So I mentioned earlier, Kaz, that, that work that Graham Rogers did and uh, I probably didn't make a point out of it, but, you know, cutting early, short shut up, uh, we actually grew more in the spring by doing that than even just shutting up two weeks longer, shutting up early two weeks longer, we grew more overall, but it's even worse when you're shutting up later. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Frank, is that um, uh, by coming in and grazing the pasture in that next rotation, um, then the ability for you to, to grow more dry matter over the entire season is much higher than having a paddock out for, for two or so rotations. And that paddock that comes back in after two or so rotations is really open and less dry matter per hectare anyway. So that holistic approach is really important. Any other um, uh, tips or important messages that you think um, farmers should be aware of um, this season or for any season when it comes to making silage? Yeah, look, some farmers, um, once again, this will depend on the season, Karen. Now, if farmers have got silage pits sitting on their farm, good on them, pat on the back, because you'll never know when that next dry year or dry years is gonna be. So always have that that stack of silage in the ground and if you've got a fair bit of feed this year um, you know once again whack in another silage pit or heap x number of bales keep the water out keep the air out now with the bales uh, if you've already got a reasonable number of bales sitting there or you um, look like you might have a lot of feed this year and you want to and you, and you put those in the bales put on an extra uh, two layers of plastic so you've got six layers of plastic on you know maybe a third of your, your bales this year or two thirds or half or whatever so those, and know which ones they are, they will carry over into, yeah, they'll give you two years without going off. Uh, the other thing some farmers talk about is, is putting silage on. So if it looks like it's going to be dry and you're going to run short, hopefully not this year. So the, the season might run out quickly. That's when you might think about putting some nitrogen on those passes and put them on. So you've got at least three weeks, if you can, at least three weeks when you put the nitrogen on before you cut that as silage. Bear in mind, now I did some rough sums, um, if so, if your rear is $5,500 a tonne and if you were to get that 20 to 1 response and allowing for 85% utilisation, in other words, you're always going to get a bit of waste here and there, uh, that's going to cost you an extra uh, $57 a tonne dry matter. So uh, over and above the cost of your, your bailing or your pit. So, and not to mention you at six to eight cents a kilogram dry matter to grow the stuff. So. It's still going to be cheaper probably than buying grain, but just bear in mind that silage that's got urea on it um, or some other nitrogen form, is, you know, it's going to push the cost of that stuff up. Yeah, terrific. Now, Frank, um, I think sometimes we push um, farm safety and farmer health um, into the back of our minds, but you've had lots of experience with making silage uh, for a number of years. What are some of your messages that you'd like people to start thinking about as we're heading into the silage season and during the silage season as well? Yeah, probably probably the most horrendous accidents that can happen is people get wrapped around PDO shafts. They get pulled into pickups on balers, pulled up and picks up pickups in uh, forage harvesters. Um, 
and and never have kids anywhere near any any um, silos making as much as they'd love to be there. You know, they're there, keep them locked up in the usual, make sure you know where they are and make sure they stay where they are. You know, dog chain's not a bad idea, eh? <laughs> oh my goodness! Because it's the last thing you need to see is a young, um, young boy or uh, boy or girl going under a set of wheels or, or whatever. You know, it's just horrendous. But the other danger thing is um, working at night. You know, you might get blinded by lights in your eye and, and you miss something. It's, you know, whether you're rolling, whether it's another tractor coming along. Um, definitely mobile phones. Um, you know, I know a lot of people say it'll kind of bug me, Micken, but. I know of people that have gone off, run off roads when they're coming and they're talking on the phone or if they're actually having a paddock and they're, they're, and they're trying to text or talk on their phone when they should be keeping an eye on the forager that's suddenly turning a corner in front of them and so on. And similarly, when you're rolling the stack, be careful. And even, it's worse at night. You can't see the edges of the stack. And if you haven't got sides, um, you know, walls on that stack, and there's a lot of bun stacks and a lot of um, drive-over stacks, if you like, clamps, very dangerous when you're rolling the edges of those stacks. So they're just some of the, the very, very... Um, important things to be thinking about. Well, Frank, thanks for joining us today and um, lending us your experience, um, which you've gained over a number of years in relation um, to silage. And I think that last message um, probably rings true uh, for me as well, is that let, let's be safe um, this uh, um, silage season, but also if we can, um, aiming for um, high quality silage looks like it and well, it definitely pays dividends. Thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Karen and Frank for part one of this two-part series on silage. In the next podcast, we will be tackling key topics like the correct stage of cutting, wilting rates, how to seal your silage properly, and dealing with moulds. In the meantime, you can find out more at dairyaustralia.com.au under the feed-based section. As mentioned by Frank, feeding pastures for profit is a great course for farmers wanting to improve the way they grow grass and maximise its utilisation. Contact your local RDP office for timings of the next FPFP workshops. In addition, I'm pleased to also say that Top Fodder, the course offered by Dairy Australia to promote higher quality silage making, is currently being redeveloped with a view to being available in early 2021 for farmers conserving maize silage and summer crops, and then later in the year for ryegrass silage. And that's it for this episode. As always, you can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>